How are you today? Good, good. Um, if you're anything like me, you probably remember certain sayings your parents repeated often to you. Uh, I remember a few life lessons that my mom and dad reminded me of through the years. Uh, it's amazing what sticks in your memory and a lot of things that you forget that you should have remembered. Um, I remember my mom always used to say to me, Joe, it's all going to burn, which was scary when you were eight years old, but that was her way of uh, telling me that uh, don't put your life too deeply into material things because someday uh, you're not going to have them and it's actually just foolish to build your life around material things. My dad always used to say when he was trying to motivate me, he would say, Joe, all that God wants from you is your best. All that God wants from you is your best. And I find that I'm saying that to my kids all the time. Uh, when I wanted to be lazy, my dad would just say, hey man, like just give your best. That's what God is looking for from you. But a few months back, I had an experience that reminded me of something my dad said to me many times. I had heard that someone who I don't get to see that often had tragically lost a very close family member. The viewing for this uh, person happened to be on a Sunday afternoon. I hadn't spoken to this friend in quite some time, and to be quite honest, I waffled on whether or not I was going to go to the wake. First off, I wasn't sure if my presence was all that important at the wake. And second, Sunday right after church, I want to go home and I want to have some quiet time just to rest. And I don't know if that's the same for you, but Sunday afternoons, like that's my time. And that's my favorite time of the whole week. I love to get in bed, turn on a football game, and not watch it and fall asleep. That's what I like to do on Sundays. I ended up deciding to go. It was about a half an hour from here, the wake. I drove out to the funeral home and I walked into a room where I only knew a handful of people. I hardly knew anyone. I saw my friend from across the room. He was sitting in a chair next to the casket, slumped over, weeping. He saw me. He stood up. I saw him. We embraced. He collapsed in my arms, and this was a big dude, like a big dude. He collapsed in my arms and started sobbing. I could feel tears of grief, literally wailing. They were hot on my shoulder. And through his tears, he said to me, I didn't know if you were going to come. Just for a moment, I got to share in the profound loss he had experienced. I spent 10 or 15 minutes caring for my friend, grieving with him, and then I left. I got in my car, and I drove to my Sunday afternoon ritual. But the only thing I could think about as I was driving from Douglasville to Pottstown was I almost missed that. I almost missed that moment. That day was a vivid example of something my dad had said to me countless times through my growing up years, and it's this. There is power in just showing up. There is power in just showing up. My dad had known from experience that usually what people need most is not necessarily our advice, our skills, or even our sermons. 
They need our presence. There is a profound gift we give to others simply by being present with them in their pain and in their problems. And what is truly amazing about the story of Christmas is that it is the story when God showed up for us. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23 says this. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. And people speculate, like, oh, how did that happen? Like, how does a young virginal woman become pregnant by the Holy Spirit? Sometimes people say all kinds of things that are inappropriate about sexual relations between the Holy Spirit and Mary. That's a pagan idea not found anywhere in Scripture. Here's what I believe the virgin birth is showing us, that the Holy Spirit used the creative power that the Spirit has to birth life in Mary's womb. Just like God spoke the world into existence through His Word, the Spirit spoke the presence, the flesh of Jesus in the womb of Mary. Verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. I pray that in these next moments we have together that you would speak to us through the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Lord, I pray that you would help me this morning. Help me to preach what you're saying and only that. God, open up every ear today to hear your Word. God, we want to be changed. Amen. One of the focuses of Matthew's gospel from beginning to end, you'll have to stay with me here because some of what I'm about to tell you is a little bit technical, so you have to think and you have to kind of engage in what I'm teaching. One of the focuses of Matthew's gospel from beginning to end is his emphasis on the fact that Jesus' life is a fulfillment of prophecy. Seven times or more throughout Matthew's gospel, Matthew tells us that what Jesus was doing was a fulfillment of a prophecy that had happened centuries and centuries before the moment that Jesus fulfilled it. And here in verses 22 and 23, we are told that Jesus being born of a virgin is a fulfillment of something that Isaiah prophesied over 700 years earlier. What's interesting about Isaiah's prophecy being fulfilled in Jesus is that in the original context, it had absolutely nothing to do with Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. When Isaiah spoke the words, you will have a son, the sign to you will be a son, a virgin will be with child and she will call him Emmanuel, Isaiah was talking to a guy named Ahaz 
who was the king of Judah at the time. At this point in Israel's history, it was divided into two kingdoms. Israel kind of got split in half. There was the northern kingdom called Israel, and then there was the southern kingdom called Judah. The story goes that King Ahaz and the people of Judah were petrified because the king of Israel, a guy named Pekah, it's a strong name, and the king of Syria, a guy named Rezin, were conspiring together to attack him. To put it bluntly, Ahaz thought he and the people of Judah were toast. They thought that Israel and Syria were going to attack them and obliterate them. This would not only be tragic for the people of Judah, it would also be tragic for you and I and all of humanity. Why is that? Because God had promised long ago to bring the Savior, to bring the Messiah through the line of Judah. And if Judah was going to be destroyed, that means the promise of a Savior would be lost. So here's what happens. God instructs the prophet Isaiah and his son to go to King Ahaz. And he tells Isaiah to go to Ahaz and say, Ahaz, I know you and your people are terrified. I know you think that Israel and Syria are going to annihilate you. But I want you to know that everything is going to be okay. And so after Isaiah tells Ahaz everything's going to be okay, he instructs Ahaz to do something very strange. Isaiah chapter 7 verses 10 through 14 says this. It says, again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign. And you're like, well, what, what sign? Like why would he want a sign? To confirm that Judah will not be attacked. So he's saying, Ahaz, ask God for a sign that you're going to be safe. Whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. Meaning, ask me for any sign you want. I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if God came to you and there's a prayer that you have that you've been praying for and you believe God spoke to you and you believe that God says everything's going to be fine and then he said, and just so you know, ask me for a sign that what I'm saying will be confirmed. I mean, that would be amazing, right? Okay, Lord, I want the sign to be that when I leave church today, there are 27 bald eagles circling the seventh grade center. Then I know for a fact that what you said to me will come to pass. Like, we would love to have a sign. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, if you think Ahaz is super spiritual, you're dead wrong. He was actually an extremely wicked guy. He's not being humble here. He's just being foolish because Ahaz has always been foolish. Then Isaiah said, you could tell Isaiah's a little ticked at this point. Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Oh, this sounds familiar. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. How did we get to Jesus? The word for virgin Isaiah uses here actually doesn't have to mean virgin. It can mean virgin, but it doesn't always. It can also mean young woman. And what Ahaz is being told is quite simple. The sign God is giving you that you will not be attacked by Israel and Syria is that there is a young woman who you'll know and she'll have a baby and she's going to give him the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's the sign Ahaz that everything is going to be fine. A young woman you know, she's going to get pregnant and she's going to have the baby and name him Emmanuel. 
Now we don't know when this happened, but we do know that Isaiah's prophecy to Ahaz was fulfilled when Ahaz was still alive. How helpful would it be if God said, I'm going to give you a sign and it's going to happen 700 years later? Not helpful for any of us. Yeah, Joe, you can have the 27 bald eagles, but that will be in 2,718. No one's excited about that. But here's what's amazing. Matthew tells us that the ultimate fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy about a son called Emmanuel, being born to a virgin, is realized in the birth of Jesus Christ. What's interesting is that Matthew uses the actual Greek word for virgin. He is telling us that Mary really was a virgin when the Holy Spirit conceived Jesus Christ in her womb. And it's interesting that when the Old Testament was translated from Hebrew to Greek, that's called the Septuagint, the translators actually took that word from Isaiah 7.14 and changed it from young maiden to virgin in the Greek. Why do they get to do that? Because there was a sense that Isaiah's prophecy to Ahaz was bigger than just Ahaz. The circumstances surrounding the birth of Jesus are similar to those at the time of Isaiah and Ahaz. In Isaiah's time, there were those, Israel and Syria, who were conspiring to extinguish God's chosen line of Judah. They wanted to snuff out Judah, and if Judah got snuffed out, there would be no Messiah. And you know when Jesus was born, there was a wicked king named Herod. And Herod had every baby boy, two years old and under, put to death because he was trying to snuff out a rival king that he knew was going to be born. But there's an important difference in Isaiah's time, the sign that God is with us points to the physical and local deliverance of the nation of Judah. But the sign that God is with us in Matthew's gospel is so much bigger, so much more complete, so much more glorious. God would give us the sign God is with us, and it would be deliverance not from the invading armies of Israel and Syria, but it would be deliverance and saving from our greatest enemy, our sin. And God would not simply give us the sign of a young woman having a baby and naming him Emmanuel. The sign that God gives us in the birth of Jesus is Emmanuel himself. Emmanuel is not the name of Jesus. It is his identity. It's not that anyone was calling Jesus Emmanuel. It's not like when we pray, we pray, Emmanuel, please help me. No one is ever calling Jesus Emmanuel. That's not his name. That's his title. God with us. The birth of Jesus Christ is when God showed up. The birth of Jesus Christ is when God showed up. This morning, I want us to consider two important truths for your life and my life in light of the fact that Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. 
I want to apply what we just learned. Number one, I want you to know this. God has showed up in the midst of your mess and my mess. God has showed up in the midst of our mess. Many of you know that a team from Spring Valley Community Church this past October traveled to Houston, Texas to do disaster relief work for Hurricane Harvey. I think the word that best describes my time in Houston is messy. To see the destruction caused by Hurricane Harvey was frankly difficult. Driving into neighborhoods, debris pile after debris pile on people's front lawn. In the same space, all your drywall is piled, so is your lipstick and your CD collection. It is just a mess. There are many stories and people that impacted me from my time in Houston, but one story stands out above all the others. Each morning, our team would receive a work order with a description of what we were going to do that day and the address of a home we were going to go and we were going to help at. It was Wednesday morning. On Tuesday, we had done what I thought was really hard work. We had gutted out a house of a man named Raymond. His house looked like a war zone. He had no drywall anywhere. Everything was down to the studs. And his flooring was all pulled up. And I thought, it is not going to get worse than this until Wednesday morning. We drove into a tough part of Houston to the home of a woman named Elsa. I was not prepared for what I was about to see. Elsa's house was dilapidated on the outside and looked like what it really needed was not relief work but a bulldozer. On the inside, I can't even begin to describe to tell you how trashed that place was. There was stuff everywhere. The inside was destroyed and it was infested with cockroaches. I stood there in disbelief in the doorway of Elsa's home. I want to show you this picture. On the right, that's Elsa's house. In the center is her three-year-old son, Joshua. And on the right is a picture of her bathroom. Elsa had two sons. Joshua's younger brother, Michael, was one year old, one years old. Elsa lived in this house with her mom and her two boys. I need to be honest with you when I say this, and I hope this is not offensive. I had a dog growing up named Rosie. She was a collie. And you know what one thing I was thinking about when I was standing in Elsa's house? I would not let Rosie live here. It was the worst house I've ever been in. Joshua was outside playing with rocks and having an amazing time. He showed me every Southwest airplane that flew above us as we worked. He was a sweet boy. Both these kids had colds and they didn't look all that healthy. We spent about six hours, the team I was with, working at Elsa's house. We removed drywall, tore out kitchen cabinets, tarped windows, swept floors, and tried to organize the absolute chaos of Elsa's personal belongings. It is absolutely heartbreaking to be throwing out flooded canned goods 
when you're working with people who you know they need this food. My most memorable moment at Elsa's house was when I opened up one of her cabinets under the counter and inside I discovered plastic containers filled with water. Hurricane water. Flood water. It had been there for five weeks. When I opened that cabinet and I started to realize what this water was, I was disgusted. I am not exaggerating when I say that was the worst smell I've ever smelled in my whole life. I ran out of the house because I thought I was going to lose my lunch. Our team worked hard that day and did everything we knew to do to serve and love Elsa and her sons. We purchased her some gift cards for food. We purchased her some gift cards for clothing. We purchased her a gift card just so that she could buy maybe some utensils for her kitchen that was destroyed, and we prayed for her. However, I think deep down, we all knew that Elsa's mess, the reality of her life, was far too big for any of us to solve. When I think about God coming to dwell among us, I think about those six hours I spent in Elsa's house. The condition of our world is in even worse shape than Elsa's house. From mass shootings, to threats of nuclear war, to oppressive dictators, the unrestrained sexual impulses of powerful men, racial tension, the plight of the poor and the homeless, and our incredible selfishness revealed in the fact that most of us don't really want to be bothered with any problems that don't directly affect us or our bank account. A lot of us don't have a clear sense of how needy we are, of how broken you are, of how deep sin runs in your heart and mine. We are plagued by greed, lust, envy, gossip, pride, competitiveness, ungratefulness, and we are self-absorbed. All our thoughts are about us most of the time. But you know what's amazing about Christmas? Jesus shows up to be with us in the presence of all of it. The darkness of our world and the darkness of our own hearts has not deterred Jesus from showing up and making his dwelling among us. Jesus showed up knowing the truth about who you are. Jesus showed up knowing that just like Elsa's house was infested with cockroaches, our world and our hearts are infested with sin. And when Jesus showed up, he didn't simply show up to be with us. He didn't just simply come to say, hey, I just want to hang out with you for a little bit. I want to be here for six hours. He showed up to solve what we couldn't. Jesus showed up to die for your sin and my sin and the sins of the whole world. Jesus showed up knowing we would kill him. And he still came. When we behold, when we embrace Emmanuel, we behold the God of the universe who sees us with all of our warts 
and chooses to put on flesh and dwell. I want you to know that Jesus Christ is God who came to dwell among an incredibly broken people. He is present even today in the lives of those who follow him through the Holy Spirit. And he promises, he promises to never walk away from you no matter how bad it gets. God is still present in the midst of our messy world and your messy life. And in the coming of Jesus, we find the one who will never leave us or forsake us. What does that mean for you? It means that if you have made a mess of your life, Jesus is not running from you. Maybe other people are. And let's be honest with one another. When people are too broken, sometimes we just rather hang out with the healthy people who make us feel better about ourselves and who are easier to be around, who we actually get something from. Jesus is nothing like that. He shows up and he stays. And so maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, my life is too messy. And Christmas is screaming out to you that Jesus has embraced the mess of your life. And he is not walking out on you. And he will be with you. And he will stay with you. And he will be faithful to you even when you are not faithful. I love what Pastor Andrew said this morning. We don't sing about God's faithfulness as if we've earned it. We sing about God's faithfulness because that is who he is. Here's what I usually see people do when they mess their lives up. They run. I could give you a list of people and I won't. But there is a list of people that if I think over my 11 years of ministry in this church, who deeply messed their lives up, they rebelled against God, they went their own way, and their lives got messy and destructive in a hurry. And what we try to do as pastors is when people mess their lives up, we try to reach out to them and we try to call them to repentance. We try to call them back to community, but what people usually do is they just run. And a lot of people think that they can't be here or they're, they're not worthy of love because they've made a mess. And what we see at Christmas time is that God has chosen to show up in the midst of your mess and my mess. Let me just tell you one danger that some of you are in this morning, and you probably don't think it's you. You don't feel like your life is all that messy. You think you've got it together. There is no room for a deep, vibrant relationship with Jesus if you think you have your act together. 
Because that will just be religious duty. You will not be thrilled with the gospel. You will not be overwhelmed by the goodness of God if you think you've got this. I'll never forget someone in our church once said to me, you always talk about the gospel. And that was supposed to be a reprimand that we don't talk about deep things here. How dangerous that attitude is. The gospel is not just how we come to Christ. The gospel is how we grow in Christ as well. Some of us, we want deeper teaching. As if there's something more to talk about than Jesus Christ, His cross, and His resurrection. Being empowered by the Spirit to live a life of mission. We want to talk about Israel in the end times. Do you know that Israel in the end times, wonderful to talk about. Maybe we'll talk about those someday. But it'll be connected to the gospel of Jesus. Some of us, we want more information. But we don't want Jesus to go to the depths of our heart, into the deep recesses of the mess of our lives. Do you know the most sweetest and fun to be around Christians are those who just know they don't got it going on? You know the people that are hardest to get close to? People who are walking like they got this whole Christianity thing figured out. Read my Bible every day, pray for a half hour, I tithe, I serve, boom! What's up? Spring Valley Community Church must always be a place. Not where we give ourselves an excuse to sin. Oh my goodness, never that. But just there's an awareness and a humility around the fact of how deeply we need Christ. There is not a person in this room who's batting a 1,000. Honestly, we're not even batting like 300 to be able to get into the Hall of Fame. That's a baseball analogy. If you didn't get it, I apologize. That just means you're not doing as well as you think you are. And what I love about Christmas time is that Jesus enters the mess. Final thing. This point will be shorter. Then we're going to sing. God showed up in our mess, so we shouldn't run from the mess. God showed up in our mess, so we shouldn't run from the mess. Have you ever met someone, I have, who just wanted to get away from it all? I'm not talking about going on vacation. I'm talking about trying to escape a lost and dying and broken world. If I could just move to the mountains, if I could just get away, if I could just be alone, with the people I like, off the grid. That's really where I want to be. See, what happens is, is people see the world breaking apart at breakneck speed, and we start to daydream about living alone in the woods. And it is shocking to me when Christians think that this is what we're supposed to do. Get away from it all. Hey, for a week or two, praise God. We need to get away. But in the last 20 years of our life, we just want to be alone? If that's you this morning, 
You do not understand Christmas. Christmas has not changed your life. Jesus didn't enter into human history because things were getting boring in heaven. He entered human history because his mission was to save people from their sins and bring restoration to our broken world. Jesus didn't run away from the brokenness of our world in fear. He ran towards the brokenness in love. The coming of Jesus is not just for our personal salvation. It's also a model for all of Jesus' followers on how we are supposed to live life. The goal isn't to try and isolate yourself from the world. The goal is to enter into the mess of this world in the power of the Holy Spirit and live for God and be His witness and be His agent for change and reconciliation and joy and peace and hope. If every Christian ran to the woods... Who's going to take care of the mess? If we are Christmas people, we run towards the hurting, not away from them. Before his death, Jesus prayed for his followers. In John 17, 18, he says to the Father, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the woods. No, into the world. After his resurrection, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. The incarnation pushes us towards the mess and into a life of mission. And as we live our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ and give ourselves to spreading his fame and helping others follow him, and serving those in need. What has Jesus promised when we give our life to his purposes? If you think about the beginning of Matthew, Emmanuel, God with us, and then you think about the last verses of Matthew, what we find is that Jesus has not changed. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Excuse me, this is 19 through 20. Jesus says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. What should I be doing with my life? I should be going and making disciples of all nations. And teaching people about Jesus. And showing them that obedience to Jesus is really where they're going to find purpose for their lives. If you want to know what the purpose of your life is, it's here. Going and helping other people know, love, obey, and follow Jesus. And here is the promise from the lips of Jesus. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus comes as our Emmanuel and then he sends us out and he doesn't say goodbye, good luck on your own. He says, and guess what? 
I'm coming with. Because I am God who came to dwell among you. This morning, before we go home, I want us to sing a song together. And you're going to recognize this song because we sang it about 40 minutes ago. But I want you to sing this song that we closed our worship time with this morning again. And I want you to think about it now in light of Emmanuel. Thinking about the reality that God is with you and that God will never forsake you. Would you stand with me this morning and close our time together in joyful worship?